0: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. It's around midnight on Thursday or Friday morning, depending on your persuasion. But uh, it's a big weekend coming up for Mississippi State in many respects, and uh, we're going to break all that down. Ole Miss, of course, is here. Super Bulldog weekend is here. We'll have the annual Maroon and White game on Saturday kickoff at 11. And for what I understand, they have kind of mixed the rosters, so it's going to be you know, pretty much an even ball game. And uh, I've had somebody promise to share the rosters with me, and we won't have those at this point. But um, it's interesting, you know. It's uh, you know, we, it's one of those things. Last year, we kind of took for granted. Many people were hoping, you know, maybe we'd still have Super Bulldog Weekend. As you guys know, we didn't. We end up being locked down and quarantined for uh, forever. It seemed. And I don't know how you guys felt, but uh, I was very, very careful during the quarantine. I'm kind of a recluse anyway, especially when I'm riding. And, you know, I rode alpha dogs during the quarantine. But uh, it's one of those things you kind of look at now and you say, you know, Super Bulldog weekend is an annual rite of passage for Mississippi State fans. There is this pilgrimage of sorts that takes place. And a lot of people come to town for the spring game and for baseball. And, and there's, you know, we're not going to have, you know, 25,000 events like we normally have, but it's still going to be a great time to get together. It's going to be a great time to celebrate Mississippi State athletics. We're going to get our first ever spring game under Mike Leach as we get ready to complete our first ever spring practice sessions under Coach Mike Leach. And so we had media opportunity on Thursday, had a chance to visit with Coach Matt Brock and Coach Steve Spurrier. You can find those stories over on Gene's page. Matt Brock's Q&A is already up. Robbie Falk will have a piece on uh, Steve Spurrier, I believe, on Friday. But uh, those guys are always very talkative, very forthright. It's one of the things about this staff that I really love. There's not a lot of coach speak with them, and that's not necessarily to be critical of other coaches we've had, but there's always been some guys that kind of, you know, rather than just answer questions, they tried to search for the right answer and kind of tell you what they thought you wanted to hear. I just don't get that sense from this staff. They they just kind of tell you the truth. It's very refreshing. Very, very, very refreshing. Matt Brock says Ty Weed obviously is the, uh, the number one guy, but uh, they've got to find a way to get him in a little bit better shape and kind of cut a few pounds off of him so he can play more snaps. Very dynamic and explosive player, to say the least. Steve Spurrier, of course, says that, you know, hey, listen, these guys are running and running and running and running and running, and we don't waste any practice time. Eager to kind of see what these guys look like on Saturday. I know you guys will be there. I hope that everybody that can be here will be here. Bring your cowbells. It'll be nice for us to kind of be together and recreate and celebrate again Mississippi State football. A couple other things that have happened since we have been together. The NCAA Division I Council has now approved the one-time transfer rule. Now, that's not official just yet. It still has to be voted on by the league. And Miss. pardon me – the NCAA membership and that'll happen in about two weeks but here's the deal usually when the D1 council makes a recommendation it passes it's very rare that a measure is tabled sometimes it is sometimes it's not but it's very very rare so that'll pass and so that will kind of pave the way even though we expected these uh, transfers that came in during the spring to be eligible this kind of removes all doubt about that so things are going to change. NCAA is changing. College athletics is changing. The one-time transfer rule, I think, is a good thing uh, for many student athletes. You know, The, the thing we have to worry about, of, co- of course, is poaching. And that's where that name and likeness legislation will be so impactful. You've you got to make sure that that's not part of the recruiting piece. But the one-time transfer rule, you know, when you think about some of these players we've had in basketball that uh, have kind of You know, maybe they've signed and haven't really progressed, but they see an opportunity to play elsewhere. They want to pursue that opportunity. This kind of paves the way for them to do that. You know, for guys like Elias King and Devin Stubbs, those guys who left our basketball program last year, they didn't play much last year. So should they have to sit another year, even though they retained that year of eligibility? You know, it's just one of those things you begin to think about. You only get a short time in life to play ball. So let's kind of open up, you know, the, the way to do that, kind of bridge that gap between them and their next institution. I was always a firm believer that if the if the school with which a school transferred from did not oppose the waiver, it shouldn't be granted. Well, now there's no waiver required. So that'll be official here in a couple of weeks. And, uh, again, you know, guys like Makai Polk and Randy Charlton, we expected them to be kind of grandfathered in anyway because they transferred with the expectation of this rule passing And even though that legislation was delayed a little bit, it does appear that's all going to be rectified here in the next couple of weeks. Also, changes, the dead period is expected to be lifted May 31st. Now, if you recall on this show, we have talked about that several times and specifically mentioned May 31st. I was told back during the fall the chances are that the dead period would extend throughout the academic school year because it wouldn't be right you know for some sports in one academic calendar year to have the ability to get out and do in-person evals while others couldn't so june 1st they will open things back up which means you'll have camps you'll be able to have football camps on your campus it's not going to be what we've had before it's not going to be these 3 and 400 kid cattle calls where you have all these people out here and your media people get out there and say, oh, there was, you know, all these guys wanted to play for our school. Well, most of those guys aren't able to play for your school. So now it's going to be really more about, you know, having these elite camps and and, uh, top dog type camps where you have bona fide targets come to campus. Now, there will be some COVID protocols involved in all that stuff too. And what that looks like, we don't know yet. But June 1st, we do know that – Players will be able to take those visits. Now, it was one of the things we had talked about here a couple weeks ago is none of that had been approved yet. The expectation was it would be approved, and now, now it has been lifted. And so there, there will be an opportunity for players to take official visits in June. I don't expect Mississippi State to use their official visits in June, and I think that is a strategic move that is very, very smart. Because what happens if you take the official visit in June – and you don't sign until December. And so by the time those guys get ready to sign, you know, your official visit, the memory of that has faded. So I think it's better to save those visits to when it matters most and get guys on campus on a game day so they can see what the atmosphere is like and uh, what the Mississippi State game day experience is all about. So I don't expect them to use those official visits in June. I know some schools are saying, hey, listen, this is how bad we want you. We want you to get here as soon as you can. And then you've got to hang on a little bit there. So – Don't look for the Bulldogs to host many players in the month of June, if any at all. There will not be any off-campus recruiting for football. There will be, however, off-campus recruiting for basketball. So we're basically going to resume the NCAA recruiting calendar pretty much as it was, what it normally would be this time of year. So college baseball coaches will have a chance to get out and go watch some of these wooden bat tournaments and things like that and then football will be able to have camps. And so we're getting back to a sense of normalcy in many respects. And, again, bear in mind there will be some COVID protocols that these campers have to meet before they're going to be allowed to participate. Now, again, we don't know at this point if that's going to be something that is determined by the leagues or the schools themselves or the NCAA will have a blanket policy, but it's not going to be as simple as, okay, well, let's just show up and go work out. There will be some steps that have to be taken to ensure that those guys can come in and and compete and participate safely. And do you really want, you know, hundreds of kids on your campus interacting with your student-athletes and they haven't been tested and you really don't know what their status is with the COVID virus? Uh, Probably not. So that is something that I'm sure will be different than what we've had in years past. That will be somewhat limited. But, again, we're still kind of waking up to what that legislation is going to look like. So, as we get a little bit closer to June, that will all be ironed out. You know, we've still got, you know, basically seven weeks before that's really a a possibility. Now, Mississippi State has already announced their camp dates uh, for both June and July. We don't know at this point, media-wise, if we'll be able to cover that. We certainly hope to. You know, it's one of those things in the past that's been great. I know guys that uh, have subscribed to Gene's page, you look forward to that every year. You know who came to camp. Who looked good. Who got an offer. Who's going to commit. So we hope we're going to be able to get in there and interview those guys. But there is no guarantee. I won't be surprised either way. I'd love to be there. I'd love to be able to participate. I mean, you know, by the time those camps get here, I should be uh, completely vaccinated, and so I don't think that I would pose a threat to those young men. But uh, you know, again, we'll see how that progresses. We certainly will. Could be a situation where you know we just kind of find find out. Uh, through the kids themselves that they camped and then we call and interview them afterwards and of course we can do that that's not as ideal as being there to be able to observe them and see how they participated and see what kind of workouts they did and who excelled in one-on-ones and even if we get to view that from a distance it's better than nothing but at this point we will take what we get and we'll be grateful for it because again this time last year we didn't have any of this none whatsoever and you got to feel like too With the hoops, these guys are going to have to jump through in order to come participate in camp, that you're going to get guys that have a mutual interest. I don't know if you have these big, um, you know, bus tours and that where everybody goes and sees, you know, 13, 14 schools in three or four days. I don't know if that happens anymore. That's one of those things that I guess a lot of people are going to be careful about, at least for this year. And until more people are vaccinated, there will be a lot of that that happens. But, um, you know, again, anything is better than nothing because last year we got nothing and i think that's one of the things with this year that we're beginning to kind of see okay this is kind of what we lost and we're taking some steps to get back to some sense of normalcy so excited about that excited that the ncaa is doing the right thing on this dead period thing makes a lot of sense to do it when they do it but you're you're enabling these guys to get a great evaluation of players and also to allowing the players the opportunity to have face-to-face interaction with coaches and you know, Steve Spurrier Jr. brought up a good point. He goes, you know, how many of our guys that signed in 2021 didn't get a chance to meet their coaches until they, you know, signed and then enrolled for January classes? It's crazy to think about it. I know Sawyer Robertson took an unofficial visit here prior to all of that. I know Daniel Grieg did. Ty Cooper, of course, has been on our campus before. But outside of that, there hadn't been a lot of players that have been here and had a chance to interact with Mike Leach and his staff. I know Mason Miller, offensive line coach at Mississippi State, told me that he met Gabe Cavazos, Carson Williams, uh, Nick Jones, and uh, who am I missing here? Oh, uh, Albert Reese. He met them for the first time the day they enrolled for spring classes. Didn't really know for sure how big they were until they got here and on the other side of things I mean you know these you know it's, there's so only so much a player can learn about a coach on a zoom call everybody's putting their best foot forward in those uh you know recruiting speeches and that sort of stuff but uh yeah so we're kind of moving beyond that and so you know I begin to think about what Spurrier said too I mean There are so many young men out there and young ladies that made a decision about a school with very, very, very limited information. I still believe that's going to load a transfer portal up. That is probably some legislation that we will look at next year. And the reason that I say that is that the the portal is absolutely flush with players. And everybody goes in thinking, hey, if I get in the portal, maybe Alabama's going to call me. You know, Maybe Clemson's going to call me. Maybe I'm exactly what they need. Maybe they need this. Maybe they need that. And then we have players that go in there that uh, probably get a little dose of humility because they find out that these Power Five programs really aren't that impressed with them or don't have a need for them. And maybe they end up going to Delta State. And it's nothing against Delta State, but there are a lot of people out there that uh, may be overvalued – themselves as prospects so they entered the NCAA transfer portal and they found out wait a minute i'm one of like a thousand players and there's only about 400 spots out there available in division one what am i going to do so there's got to be some type of legislation to put in place i think to protect those student athletes now the argument from the, the, the average fan is hey you know what you take your career in your own hands, you kind of deal with the consequences. Life is filled with consequences. You choose the behavior, you choose those consequences. So we'll see how things progress, but I do believe that'll be a hot button issue moving forward. Federal government, of course, is involved with the name, image, and likeness uh, legislation, and that's something that'll happen here probably within the next year. And a lot of these states, I hear, are putting laws together to try to ensure that. Um, that a lot of that happens the ncaa has kind of failed to act it's one of those things till you look back in hindsight a lot of these issues with the ncaa could have been resolved within the ncaa without a federal mandate and we have now put ourselves in a situation the federal government's involved and a lot of times when the feds get involved things aren't as equitable as they probably should be sometimes there's an overcorrection of there so Uh, The NCAA, as I discussed on the previous show, sometimes the NCAA loses sight of what its mandate is, and this is one of those things they should have resolved themselves, but now you're having congressional hearings and you're having people involved in college athletics that don't know the ins and outs of college athletics. That's the risk you run when you basically major in inactivity. When you drag your feet, you're complacent in your mandate, Other people get involved, and that's what good leadership does. Good leadership just you know, that's where I give Greg Greg Sankey a lot of credit. You know, we can say what we want to about officiating, but Greg Sankey's a great leader. And I think if Greg Sankey was over this, it had already been resolved a long time ago. It is a complicated issue, to say the least, but through their own inaction, they have now invited people in to this process that are going to complicate matters. But college athletics, as we know it, is changing and will probably never be the same as it once was. It might actually be better, and for some schools it may be worse. But for all schools, it's going to be different. Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. Man, I love Bulldog Burger Company. I had a discussion with my family. We had dinner tonight, went to the grill, and uh, had a great time. Saw a couple of you guys out there. A couple people said hello. Appreciate that very much part of a great family of restaurants bulldog burger company great great place to go eat and the thing we discussed is you know it was like hey hey last time we went what did you have and everybody said oh yeah well, i had this and i had that and i always get this I said, Well, i had the grilled chicken club i'm kind of on that grilled chicken club kick i really dig that sandwich because it's one of those things to me where the portion's perfect it's absolutely perfect and so when you go, maybe you try that, because I like Texas Toast, and they serve that grilled chicken club on Texas Toast. has a fried green tomato. Sometimes I get that. Sometimes I don't. That's the cool thing about it. You can kind of get it the way you want it at Bulldog Burger Company. Now, two locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Start Vegas and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and coming soon to Ridgely and the Old Mugshots location. You'll be glad they're there. So rather than being a treat when you come to Starkville or the Golden Triangle area, you folks in central Mississippi can make that a regular stop in your dining activities. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet M-E-A-T. All right, our top story today before we get to preview in the baseball weekend, Garrison Brooks, former Mississippi State basketball signee Garrison Brooks, the son of current Mississippi State assistant basketball coach George Brooks, announced on his Instagram on Thursday evening that he is transferring to Mississippi State. Now, this has been rumored, you know, I would say the better part of 10 days or so. This transfer portal thing could be a real boom for Mississippi State. Real boom. Now, you've also got three high school signees that are already in. Cameron Carter made it official on Thursday, Alvin Applewhite earlier in the week. And then uh, uh, I guess it's Keyshawn Murphy. Those three guys, they're already in. Garrison Brooks announces we expect him to sign any day now. And then DJ Jeffries from Memphis, the small forward from, uh, from Memphis, is going to announce his college decision on Monday. Now, we believe that's going to be Mississippi State. Now, Monday I may feel completely different. That's one thing about basketball recruiting. It's very unpredictable. But if things go to script and State's able to get these three high school signees, Get Garrison Brooks and get DJ Jeffries. It's one of those things you start looking at and say, okay, now we go from a bubble NCAA team to probably a certain NCAA team. Garrison Brooks comes in, can play the four, allows you to move Tolu Smith down to the five, and not really lose anything rebound wise. And then all if you get DJ Jeffries at the three, starting with uh, you know with with other DJ and and Iverson Molinar, all of a sudden you've got a very formidable starting five, and you've got some young guys kind of providing some depth behind them, I think you can say, you know what, this is, this is a group right here that can really get out there and compete. Now, I expect the league to be much better next year. Going to return a lot of players. Going to have an opportunity, of course, for this SEC to be really, really good next year. Mississippi State could be among the top half teams in this league. Now, people say, well, Steve, you know, that's not saying a whole lot. I really think next year the league is going to be valued at a much higher level and so if you finish in the top half of the league next year, I believe you're going to be in the NCAA tournament. A lot of people out there working through the transfer portal. And, you know, in many respects, the, the transfer portal it kind of give it and take it, I think it's probably a little bit easier to find players in, in basketball than there is in football. It's not necessarily so much system-driven. But you've got to find people that fit what you want to do on the offensive end, and that's what I believe Ben Howen is doing. And listen, we all know what a big year next year is for Ben Howen. We do. Now, Ben could mail it in, right? Ben could say, you know what, hey, guys, I'm at the twilight of my career. You know what? I could uh, take the buyout and go back out to California with my wife and uh, love on my grandkids every day. But listen, I, I think Ben's fighting, man. I think Ben's doing a good job. Got three three-stars in. Garrison Brooks, of course, is a guy that was a four-star at a high school and um, probably will be considered a four-star transfer when it's all said and done. You, you know what's going on with D.J. Jeffries. And so, if that's how this thing, you know, kind of turns out, I think you've got to look at this and say, you know what, this recruiting cycle, Ben Howen did what he needed to do for Mississippi State's future and for their immediate needs as well. It makes me excited about men's basketball. You know, we close the year out on a very positive note at the end of the regular season. We get into the NIT because some other teams opt out. We make it all the way to the NIT championship game, and we lost to a better team. We absolutely did. The best team in the tournament won. And you could make an argument Memphis probably should have been an NCAA tournament, but they weren't. But we left the end of the year with some goodwill. And now we're capitalizing on that and bringing in some pieces that will make us an even better team next year. We don't know what Abdul will do is going to do at this point. Not exactly sure what he's planning. Not exactly sure uh, what his thoughts are. But there was some discussion that uh, – you know, about halfway through the conference schedule that he wasn't going to come back. And then after the end of the regular season, there was some talk, you know what, he may come back. That might happen. I know Paul Jones has kind of been all over that for us. Paul's our resident Mississippi Statements basketball expert. Paul, very, very close to your program. And Paul says at this point, you know, I, I think that there is a possibility of him coming back. And so I think a lot of it, too, is just kind of having that hunger of thinking, you know what, you know, pro ball maybe overseas in Europe or or Africa or wherever will always be there. But I got another chance to come back with a team that's going to be pretty good and have a chance to play another NCAA tournament. You know, my minutes might be somewhat diminished, but at the same time, too, I can be part of something that's really cool. And listen, Abdul Deuce had a great experience at Mississippi State, really has. And so I could see him coming back. I could see him making a contribution. And I think the fact that you have a little more depth in the front court probably allows him to play a little more aggressively because of the fact that you got some people that can get out there and bang a little bit and uh, play in the post. And I think DJ's a guy, too, that kind of transforms the offense a little bit because if he can play the three, and I think that's what he wants to play, I think he can get out and be a little more aggressive out in transition. So that's the news from men's basketball. And, again, I think there's a lot to be excited about. Now, that probably sounds funny coming from me because most of the season I never came out and said I thought Ben Howland should be fired, but I think it was pretty apparent that I was disappointed with Ben Howland, as as many of you were. But I love a good comeback story. I love an underdog. And I also love people that say, you know what, they're going to have to drag me out of here kicking and screaming. And so Ben's doing what he needs to do to right the ship at Mississippi State. And getting Garrison Brooks is big. You know we've had some really good success with our legacy kids, and you get you get Garrison in, and all of a sudden you look like a formidable team in the front court. You know we know what we have at guard, but all of a sudden when you've got guys, if you can get D.J. Jeffries and you get Garrison Brooks to go, would you? All of a sudden you can't get out there in the back court and start double teaming D.J. Be a much different team, a lot more options on the floor. And that's what happened to us this year. It's when people took D.J. away from us and we didn't have a second scoring option outside of Iverson, Molinar, we really struggled. And so now all of a sudden you add D.J. Jeffries to the mix, you add Garrison Brooks to the mix, now all of a sudden you can score from all five spots on the floor. Because, listen, let's be honest, outside of a putback, Abdul-Adoo was not, you know, much of an offensive player. And that's not to be critical of him. That's just the reality of life. He struggled to even kind of receive an entry pass. and so. You remove that from the half court, and all of a sudden you, you, you're going to hold teams a little more honest. Teams are going to have to defend all five spots rather than turn somebody loose and be able to, to double-team DJ. Uh, so, again, a lot to feel good about today. And I think Ben Howland, of course, uh, you know, come Monday, might feel even better about his prospects for next year, not just personally, but uh, looking at his program. He might look at his program completely different, and you might look at the program completely different. Let's get into today's top 10 list, brought to you by the fine folks at johnnypacker.com. I've got some information for you about that. The fine folks uh, at Johnny Packer sent a complimentary pair of glasses because they wanted me to be able to talk to you guys intelligently about these glasses. And so, of course, I gave them to my significant other. She tells me they are the lightest, most comfortable sunglasses that she has ever worn. Now, of course, she's 29 years of age so she doesn't uh, you know you know i'm joking uh but she does tell me that you know hey listen these are great tell the folks at johnny packer thank you and that these are the most comfortable sunglasses i have ever worn the frames are great they've got a new shipment in there were a lot of frames that were unavailable a week ago and of course their website traffic is up because of you fine folks but now you've got a personal testimonial these are very comfortable glasses because listen here's the thing too a lot of times you go out and you buy sunglasses and they're cheaply constructed and they bend and they you know they get misshapen and that sort of stuff or they pinch your nose just not the case man not the case incredible construction they send them with this nice little case too and if you're like me too i need to keep those sunglasses in a case you know, i don't need them bouncing around the floorboard of the car and so usually what i do is when i i, I make the move from uh, daytime to nighttime i take my sunglasses off and put on my regular glasses just so i can see a little bit so i've got that nice case that I can put those in and keep them safe because you never know when i may have to dodge a deer on the way back from uh, arkansas or something in the middle of the night coming home from covering the bull the ball bulldogs pardon me goodness gracious so go to johnnypacker.com today go check it out today a portion of every purchase goes directly to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation. That's one of the things that makes me feel so good about partnering with these guys is it's not just a for-profit business. They're doing some things that matter for people who need it. That's johnnypacker.com. Go check them out today. Hollywood flair with some golden triangle style. Maybe the Hollywood style with some golden triangle flair. Maybe that's the motto. Go check them out today, johnnypacker.com. Today's top 10 list. We're going to go back to a band that was uh, founded in the 1970s randy rhodes one of the founding members of quiet riot and here's the thing about quiet riot you know they they were a band that really had a lot of traction early on in that west coast scene it's kind of like them and van halen were kind of rival bands at the time and when randy was with the group you know kevin debrow's original lead singer uh, they had a bass player and his name escapes me let me look it up just because i want to i want us to be factually accurate here kelly garney is his name and Kelly, you talk about dysfunction. And Kevin DeBrow was a guy that was incredibly dysfunctional. But Kelly was one of those guys that uh, you know, he and Randy founded the band. They hired Kevin DeBrow. And it got to be such a contentious relationship that during a drunken rage, Kelly tried to, was plotting to kill Kevin DeBrow. He was going to the studio to shoot him. And on the way, he got a DUI and was arrested. You talk about some divine intervention there. He was ultimately, you know, kicked out of the band, his own band. And uh, they went on to some level of success. They recorded QR1 and QR2, but they could not get a domestic distribution deal. So those records were released in the East, out of Japan. They had some success over there, but uh, they did not get an American distribution deal until after Randy Rhodes left the band. They hired Carlos Cavazos to be the guitar player. And, of course, Frankie Benali became the drummer, and we lost Frankie to pancreatic cancer here in the last couple of years. And that was really a sad, sad story. We lost a couple members, three, three original members or recently, I guess, uh, classic members of the band. Frankie, Randy, and Kevin are all gone now. But it was the first American album, uh, *Mental Health, that really was their, you know, coming out party, I guess you could say. And so what's interesting, too, and, you know, I usually have this policy about no cover songs. Well, if we didn't have a couple of these cover songs in here, we wouldn't be able to put a good top ten list together. And Here's the thing, too, about Quiet Riot. Even though they were kind of an iconic band in many respects, the catalog is pretty thin, to be honest with you. I mean, it really is. I had those first two albums. I had Metal Health. I had Condition Critical. And I guess I had QR3. But outside of that, it's pretty thin soup. And so a couple of their biggest hits are actually covers of Slade songs. Slade was a glam rock band uh, from, the, from over in England in the uh, early to mid-70s. And uh, they had some success in the 80s, too, with Runaway. And so, but Quiet Riot took those songs of Slade's and made them mega-hits, so I included them on the list so no honorable mentions today but here's the top 10 quiet riot songs by the time you guys hear this roy probably already has the spotify list together and i want to give a special shout out to roy too roy and i have become good friends here in the last couple months and uh, he's been a great friend to me and has done a great job for you guys it was you know, was, you know was his idea said, so, hey let's put these things on spotify how great would that be and it's a great service to the Boneyard listener but Roy's dad passed away on Thursday, and uh, he had had some had COVID issues a couple weeks ago. Uh, he was a guy too that had had some health problems, but he rallied and he beat it. And we thought he was in great shape, and then all of a sudden, here in the last week or so, he'd really began to deteriorate again, and and ultimately passed away on Thursday. So please remember Roy and his family, and your thoughts and prayers. Uh, again, Roy does this for you guys. I don't send him a nickel and uh when he comes to town and we go to dinner he won't even let me pay he's you know he's just one of those great people that uh you know wants to do things for other people and and uh puts this list together for you guys and i know many of you have reached out and said you know what steve my spotify is now filled with some of these great top 10 lists and so many songs that i was unfamiliar with and some songs that i'd forgotten so you can thank roy for that so again roy uh, we love you. We're praying for you and your family. And, and uh, I know that I speak for all the Barnyard family when we appreciate your efforts and uh, really think of you and your, your time of grieving. So here are the top 10 Quiet Riot songs. Number 10, it is the title track off the second American album, which was the fourth album in all for Quiet Riot, Condition Critical. It is kind of a deep track, but I, I really felt that it should have been a single I think it is one of the stronger efforts on that that, uh, that that album, Condition Critical. I mentioned it is a title track, but it, you know when you begin to kind of break this thing down and look at it, that album actually has some some pretty strong moments on it that didn't get played on the radio. Number nine is uh, Bad Boy, and uh, this is a song actually when I was a young teenager learning to play the guitar, and I'm still learning to play the guitar. I'm awful. I'll tell you now, I'm awful. I do enjoy playing, even though I hadn't played recently. But uh, this is one of those songs that I learned to kind of pick out a little bit. Thought it was thought I had a great opening riff. I thought Carlos did a great job on it, and uh, me and some of my friends put together a little uh, you know you know a little makeshift band, and we tried to play this a little bit. But uh, I dig the song, so I wanted to put it on there. Number eight, one of the uh, you know kind of a power ballad of sorts from Q from QR three. It's Twilight Hotel. And that's when they were really in their glam phase. I mean, really, I mean, Kevin DeBrow, not a handsome man. They did the best they could to pretty him up in that on that album uh, cycle. But Twilight Hotel, pretty cool video too, if you hadn't checked it out. Number seven is a song off of Metal Health, and of course, this album was released after Randy Rhodes had died. You know, Randy had left Quiet Riot and joined Ozzy Osbourne's band when Ozzy went solo, right? Because, you know, Ozzy left Black Sabbath. And so Randy was very frustrated with the fact that Quiet Riot could not get a domestic distribution deal for QR1, QR2, and just felt that Quiet Riot wasn't going anywhere. And ironically, as I read in our research for the show, it was Dana Strum, the bass player eventually from Vinnie Vincent Invasion and Slaughter who encouraged Randy to try out for Ozzy, and he made it. And so Randy leaves the band, gives Kevin and those guys, Rudy Sarzo and them, permission to use Quiet Riot. the gave the blessing for them to continue to tour and keep that music alive. And so Randy died in a plane crash way too soon. And so the song Thunderbird is a tribute to Randy Rhodes. And that's off that very first, that's a mental health album. Number six, a song that was actually written back in the 70s, one of the... Uh, one of, those, one of those albums, one of those songs, pardon me, that actually was a, a kind of a fall over, a carryover from the Randy Rhodes era. That's Slick Black Cadillac. I tell you one of the things, too, that's interesting. There were a lot of things that Randy had written for Quiet Riot that they never used that he took with him to Ozzy. And one of those ended up being Suicide Solution, which was a huge hit for Ozzy. Number five, a song with a pretty cool video, too, and kind of embodied what Quiet Riot was about, and that's Party All Night. It's your number five song, Party All Night. Kind of a good time and tune, as you could imagine, just like the title would suggest. Now, we're in the final four, and I believe that, without a doubt, these are the best four Quiet Riot songs. It's just a matter of what order we would all put them in. Number four for me is I went with The Wild and the Young. I think, to be honest with you, I think that's one of the best original tracks that Quiet Riot ever put together. And again, that's on QR three. That's toward the end of my high school years. But that song was kind of anthemic to me because, you know, it's you know, the wild and the young, and I was both. You know, and so the older I got, the wilder I got. But I always kind of looked listened to that song, and I said, you know what, this is one of those things that um, you know, we had so much Craziness. It's like you you young bucks of today don't understand, you know, what we lived with in the 80s. And I don't just mean the parachute pants and the, you know, and and the the bad bangs and that sort of stuff and the mullets. I mean, that was all embarrassing enough as it was, even though I'd probably still wear parachute pants if I could find something that would fit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, there was just all this angst about rock music, and it had been that way for decades. You know, people were against Elvis Presley. You know, he, he couldn't he couldn't perform on TV unless he was shot above the waist. And, you know, it's just almost like people thought that uh, their kids were going to burst into flames, you know, if they saw something that was a little bit provocative. And so, you know, we had to deal with the PMRC. And you say, well, Steve, what's the PMRC? It's the Parents Music Resource Center. And they put explicit lyrics uh, labels on all these albums. And it was so incredible. And it was basically one step away from censorship. Like, you couldn't buy certain albums unless you were above the age of 18 or unless your parents bought them for you. Now, here's what happened, though, is when they put those labels on the records, they guaranteed another million records sold because that's what we wanted to hear. And it made it a little more rebellious for us. But it was such a movement against rock music. I actually wrote my senior research paper about the PMRC and uh, in their their quest to basically stop teenagers from listening to rock music, and of course, like anything else in life, when people tell you you can't do it and say, "Hey, this is bad," they may as well be just kind of putting you know a flashing light on it, saying, "You know, here it is, here it is." And so, this wild and young thing to me kind of typified. It's like no matter what they do, no matter what they say, uh, no matter what kind of regulations they put on us, no matter how crazy they get with us, we're still going to be free because we're wild and we're young and we're just not going to put up with this stuff. And, you know, Tipper Gore, uh, Al Gore's wife, I'm not going to get political with you, but she was the one that kind of led that. And that's the thing, too. I remember one of those lyrics you hear in life that kind of sticks with you. And the first time I heard Shelter Me by Cinderella, which is a great tune, Tom Kiefer writes and sings about Tipper Gore. And he says, Tipper led the war in the streets. I can't remember the actual lyrics she said she saw the devil on mtv you know and it's like tipper gore became the focal point for teen angst you know it's like this here this lady was that doesn't know us to know anything about us because she had bought the album purple rain and uh didn't like the song darling nikki and listen that's a very provocative song it is not for children and she said you know what parents should be warned on what they're buying i think parents should do their own research but you guys today, I mean, you can go buy whatever you want. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, you, you can just go download whatever songs you want. But, you know, when you're 16 years old going to Bebop record shop, sometimes it was almost like buying liquor. You had to find some kid in there, that it was 18 years of age to go buy you the Slayer album or, or whatever, you know, because they wouldn't sell it to us. And that just sounds crazy today. I mean, today, music is so free and so readily available but to think that we couldn't buy it, and then like stores like Walmart and Kmart, TGNY, they wouldn't carry some albums because they carried explicit lyrics, and so that's not freedom. You know, I think we deserve the right to buy whatever we want. Of course, if you want to put some regulations on, it, that's fine. But it's incredible to think how far we've come, and so that's why The Wild and the Young kind of stands out to me because it, it to me, it was that fist in the air moment. When all of this craziness was going on there was just such a movement to try to get us to behave it didn't work number three and this is one of those cover songs this is a Slade cover song that uh, was on Condition Critical and really the biggest hit on that album but it's Mama We're All Crazy Now and I actually prefer Slade's version a little bit better but they but Quiet Ride did a great job with it number two another Slade song and I think most people didn't know this when, it, when this thing broke, most people had no idea who Slade was. And I remember it was uh, Eric Hunter on MTV that kind of broke the news to everybody that it wasn't a Quiet Riot song. It was a Slade song, but it's come on, fill the noise. But Quiet Riot made it what it really was. It went from being an obscure song from the early 1970s to being something you heard everywhere. I mean, it was everywhere. It wasn't just on MTV. It was everywhere. You turn on the radio and it's like they played it once an hour on the rock channel i mean z rock 106 out of jackson i mean they played this song it seemed like every hour because that's how what a big deal it was if i'm not mistaken it actually uh, the, it powered that album to number one but the number one song without a doubt the number one quiet riot song is also off metal health and it's bang your head and it wasn't just a song it was a way of life for us you know you heard that opening drum riff and it's like you know yeah all right that's us you know we were part of something we were part of a movement and i've shared that with you guys on the show before that's where i'm so glad that i grew up in the 80s in many respects and i love the technology of today but you know what back in the 80s when you went to bebop record shop or you went to camelot music or you went to sound shop and uh and Todd or Francis waited on you, and Francis, wherever you are, I love you. Uh, there was so many people that were part of this that was like, when new records came out, it's like you'd go in and you'd buy the record and you would spend like an hour picking out your your CD or your tape, whatever. But that's where your friends were, and that's where you met friends. And you'd go over there and it's like, you you go to the register and somebody's, you know, you know, they got the Ozzy album, and you're like, hey, dude, I got that last week. It's absolutely killer. And it's like, oh, yeah, what are you getting? now? Oh, I'm getting this. Oh, oh, I'm getting a new White Snake." And so all of a sudden, it's like, dude, we got to hang out. What are you guys going to do after the show? Where are you guys going? You know, and so that's how we connected as a tribe, and it was so incredible. And uh, I look back at that, and uh, it was really some of the best days of my life. It was also some of the most difficult, but you know, those moments, man, when we just kind of bonded over music and it was one of those things, too, you had your denim jacket and stuff and, you know, your patches kind of, you know, let people know where you stood. You know, it's like – I remember it was so, so cool when somebody would get something, you know, they'd go on a trip or they'd, they'd go see their friends in Houston or Dallas or whatever and they'd come back and they'd have, you know, like a Dangerous Toys patch or they'd have a Saxon patch or they'd have something that we didn't know that wasn't on our regular playlist and c one oh six. But it was so exciting to learn about new music. And then all of a sudden, you'd have somebody special order you a tape. And it was like, man, this is the greatest thing ever. I have something that's not available at Walmart. You know, I have something that's not available, you know, to the average consumer. And so you felt somewhat special. And it's just, it's different than it is today. And listen, I love today being able to just go to Apple Music and say, hey, listen, uh, let's listen to this and can pull it up immediately in, in its perfect quality. But uh, there was something to all of that you know, kind of being a collector and kind of finding obscure things. And, uh, you know, one of these days, I guess I'll do one of these obscure 80s rock bands, and probably I'm the only one that'll get it because, um, you know, I used to love listening to bands like Shotgun Messiah and Vane and Sea Hags and Bang Tango and people like that. And, you know, because what happened is, you know, when all the preps got into metal, and I know that I'm probably ostracizing some people when I use the term preps, you know, I hung, I hung out in a smoking smoking section in high school. And then there's these preps. You know, they all wore their eyes shirts and they had their their acid washed jeans rolled up and they had their dexters on all that kind of stuff. You know, once they got into metal, like it's like you know, in the beginning we were big Bon Jovi fans and we were you know we were big uh, fans of these bands. And all of a sudden you started seeing all of these preps wear rat shirts to school, and all of a sudden rat wasn't quite as cool. You know. Because if they liked them, then I had to find something deeper. And so then all of a sudden I would find some more obscure stuff to get into. And so it's just interesting how it all worked. But uh, but quiet, listen, Quiet Riot had some huge hits. But uh, they're not on the same level as their, many of their contemporaries. And a lot of that's got to do with Kevin DeBrow's behavior and how crazy it all got. But uh, Quiet right a great performing band, not necessarily a great writing band. So that's your top ten today. If you disagree, reach out and let me know. You'll be wrong, but I'll still listen to you. If you have ideas for a top ten list, reach out and let me know. And let me tell you what we're going to do next week. I'm going to give the guy credit next week when we do it. It was his idea. I've talked to Roy. We're going to do it all week next week. So this young buck his own description he says i'm a young buck and i love classic rock but i would love to know more about classic rock so we're going to do three shows next week and we're going to take you through the genesis the innovation and the revolution of rock music from the beginning of rock you know the top 10 bands that established rock And then we're going to go through innovation and then we're going to go through you know you know basically we're going to go from you know the infancy of like the amboy dukes and people like that and go through nirvana and and places like that and listen i don't like nirvana but i can't deny their place in rock history and so we're going to do that so three shows next week they're going to be great boneyard shows but your top 10 list is going to be about the evolution of rock music from start to finish and uh i think some of you are going to be surprised about some of the bands that i mentioned because it's not necessarily going to be about iconic bands it's going to be about innovation it's going to be about bands that changed rock and roll and so we're going to take the weekend kind of think about it you know roy's got some irons in the fire but uh, i kind of mentioned it to him and i thought you know it might be uh you know something that uh, i could do on my own too but at the same time too i think you know roy may need some uh may need a little bit of some things to think about, too, that, uh, you know, put a smile on his face. And so we're going to work on this, and then next week, that's what we're going to do, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But if you have ideas for the next week, let me know. Jason Dice has reached out multiple times, and uh, his lovely daughter wants me to do a Dolly Parton list. I almost did that today, but I felt like we needed to do some rock since it's Super Bulldog weekend. So we'll work in some Dolly Parton uh, here pretty soon. All right, let's get into... uh, Let's get into some baseball stuff. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I will be at Campus Bookmart today from 2 o'clock to 4.30-ish, probably 4.30, 4.45. And then I'll have to go over and cover baseball there at Dirty Noble Field. You may have heard we're having a pretty big ball game tomorrow night. So Campus Bookmart, I'm probably going to get there early because I like them. And so what I'll probably do is eat lunch and then go ahead and go to Campus Bookmark. But it doesn't officially start until 2 o'clock. But if you decide to mosey on over there, maybe one ish or so, I'll probably already be there. As a matter of fact, I'll post on social media when I get there. So if you're in town, you want to come by and get some books or meet me and say hello or whatever, I'll be there. Stan and the Man and his crew will be happy to see you because... They got the latest and greatest in Mississippi State fashions for you. Now, if you can't make it to town, and let's say you just like a signed book, Stan Mann and them have them. They do. And you can order them at campusbookmart.net and make that as part of your purchase because uh, you're going to need to get some new Mississippi State baseball gear anyway because we're getting ready to have a great year. I'm wearing Mississippi State baseball jersey right now. Wearing it right now with pride. And it's just me and the dogs right now, but listen – they dig it. They dig it. And I got it at Campus Bookmark, and you will too. Go to campusbookmark.net and use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Let's talk some baseball. And you know, as much as we want to beat on Miss and everything, I think even the truest of the true maroon will admit, you know what, the So Much baseball Pro is pretty good. I mean, really are. Yeah, they've been to Omaha one time in 20 years. Really, they've only been, uh, I guess, two times in, what, 48 years? But who's counting? Two times in 49 years. But who's counting? But, yeah, I mean, there's some respect there because, you know what, we kind of look at them and say, you know what, when we beat them, it's a bigger deal now. And we beat them a lot lately. But uh, there was a time in the 1980s when Ole Miss was basically an also-ran. You know, there were times they'd have a losing record. They were. They, they were, People forget. I mean, we're just a generation removed to them having a chicken wire fence. I mean, you know. So we kind of respect the fact that what Mike Bianco's done there. I think everybody sees. I mean, they're. They're. Listen, they're a formidable opponent and have been. And so there is some respect there. It's not like football. It's just not because it's not as sleazy and that's not as nasty and that sort of stuff. And it's just, baseball is just different. But there is some respect there. Uh, so let's take a quick look at the Ole Miss season and review. You guys remember they won all three games out there in, at the uh, the tournament in Texas and uh, went to number one, kind of rode the wave of that, three top ten wins, and they went number one, kind of rode that for a while. They blasted Arkansas State. Then they lose two out of three to Central Florida. Not a good Central Florida team either. They lose that two out of three. They bounce back to beat Memphis. They blast Jackson State. They sweep Belmont. And uh, I don't know if you guys know much about the Belmont Bruins. They're not a, bas- a baseball power. You, that might be news to you. They're not They're not a baseball power in, in any respect. And uh, you're kind of looking at, at the Bruins here real quick, just before we move on here. I just want to share with you, that, that's a sweep. And so, you know, anytime it's great to sweep somebody, I mean, we're all excited about that. Uh, you know, the Belmont Bruins are a team that uh, are going to struggle to make the tournament. They're 14 and 16 overall seven of eight in their conference, pretty good at home, awful away. So, you know, you look at it and say, well, we scheduled light, did the best we could. Uh, they won all three of those games. They beat Alcorn State, and then they take two out of three from UL Monroe, lose to Sunday game, lose to Sunday game. Also lost the Sunday game to Central Florida. Uh, that next week they drop a game at Louisiana Tech, 13-1. to If you remember, they, uh, it's the COVID cancellation. They canceled one game because they were going to be short pitching and uh, probably were going to lose at second ball game, too. They go down to Auburn. They win game one, one nothing. win game 2-6-5, and then they blast Auburn on Sunday, 19-11. to Kind of a rare Sunday win for Ole Miss, too. They get by Central Arkansas. Then they sweep Alabama, and uh, Alabama was ranked at the time they have been up and down. Of course, they sweep A and M last weekend, but uh, they have not been elite by any stretch. But they are an improved team. Then you go to Florida and you lose two out of three down there, including that Sunday game again. And I keep mentioning that for a reason. North Alabama, of course, they blast them. And, and sadly, that's the game when uh, Tim Elko uh, tore his ACL. And listen, Tim, we uh, listen as much as we want to beat you guys, we don't want to see anybody get injured and uh, wish Tim the best and a speedy recovery, especially for a guy late in his career like that. You know what I'm saying? Because that's something that could impact his draft status. And so I uh, really hope he gets better soon. Listen, hope he gets to the weekend and, and maybe he makes a full recovery on Monday. I mean, I, I mean that, that's – that's disingenuous. But uh, you never like to see anybody get hurt, especially a guy in his senior year that's probably uh, going to be a draft prospect. The guy was leading the SEC in RBIs when he gets hurt. Uh, they take care of Alcorn State and then lose two out of three, including the Sunday game to Arkansas. Been really good on Saturday, not so good on Sundays. And they take care of Austin Peay 13-1 to uh, earlier this week, and they'll get ready to be in Starkville. And I understand uh, they're here already. So, let's look into some of these stats here. You guys know they've had some pretty gaudy stats. I mean, offensively, they have been a really good team. And at times, been really good pitching. Their starting pitching, uh, especially Hoglin, has been really good. And he's a guy, too, that had no SEC experience entering the season. He had a very impressive high school resume and had a very high draft profile, but he did not have any SEC experience. That's what's so interesting, so many old Miss uh quote, baseball expert for talking about how Mississippi State pitching was supposed to be so good but didn't have any SEC experience. And you look at that old Miss staff and you say, you know what, outside of Doug Nikhazy, neither do you. But Hagwon has proven to be a dude. I mean, he is. He has lived up to his billing uh, and probably is a guy that uh, I, I would say, you know, first, second round type grade. I mean, this guy, is his curveball is incredible. I mean, it really, really is. He gets a ton of swing and miss. All right, so let's look at pitching before we get into this offense here. So uh the starters, as you guys know, have varied a little bit because Doug Nakezey uh did miss some time. Uh he is back and his velo has kind of been up and down just a little bit. I know last weekend he was a little a few miles an hour shy of what he was uh you know earlier earlier in the year. Uh Nicchese is three and one on the year. He has made six starts, twenty-nine and two-thirds of an innings pitch, allowed eighteen hits. 11 runs only eight of them earned 14 walks against 47 k's that's getting it done right there three doubles and three home runs batting average of 106 excuse me 170 170 just a two hit by pitches so yeah i mean did he even though that he has missed some time and not been 100 percent doug mccasey's pitched it really well really well and you know last year i really liked this game a lot and again. guy that got a little bit banged up, and he's still maybe not 100%, but uh, he has been good the last couple of weeks. Uh, Gunnar Hogland, again, we talked about him being a dude, 2.57 ERA. He's made eight starts, got a 3-1 record, so that means he's got four no decisions. Uh, 49 innings pitch, which, of course, leads the staff, has allowed 33 hits, 16 runs, 14 of them earned 78 Ks to 16 walks. That's really getting it done at a high level. Five doubles, six home runs, a batting average of 185 against just a couple of wild pitches and a couple of HBPs. But this is a guy, too, that gets a ton of swing and miss. And he's a guy, because of the fact that he can land four pitches for a strike when he needs to, he keeps you off balance. You can't just sit up there and say, okay, well, until he throws a breaking ball for a strike, I'm going to sit fastball because he can spot up a changeup and he can throw that slider. This is a guy too. It's a bona fide big time guy for sure. Now, Diamond Derek Diamond has pitched for them a little bit and got absolutely shelled last weekend against Arkansas. Derek Diamond's made three starts on the year, has a five point nine four ERA. Excuse me, he's three and three on the year and made eight starts. He is not expected to start on Sunday. They have announced they're going to throw Drew McDaniel, and McDaniel is one of those guys too that. Um, you know, has pitched a good bit this year. I believe that's Rob right, McDaniels, who they, who they announced. I may be wrong on that. But Drew McDaniels a guy that, uh, is a guy that can get out there and do some things. Drew McDaniel, uh, 4-0 and record, 11 appearances, 5 starts. And, yeah, he was pitching when the Casey was out. 31 innings pitched, allowed 28 hits. That's kind of high. You know, almost a hit per inning, 14 runs, 10 of them earned. 10 walks against 38 Ks. That's still a 4-1 to ratio. Still four to one has had the propensity to give up the big hit, three doubles, two triples, four home runs, batting average of two thirty three against. He is expected to be that Sunday starter uh, for them. Now, despite the fact that they have had really good frontline pitching, with the exception of Sundays, and again, the teams that can find consistency with Sunday pitching and then consistency in the bottom half of the order win, and so. That's what Mike Bianco's kind of figuring out. What, what do we do on Sunday? You know, when you've lost two series in a row, and, and both of those have been Sunday losses for you, you've got to find a way to stop the bleeding. So, you look at this bullpen here. Uh, Taylor Broadway has been it's uh, been good for Ole Miss. It really has uh, 3.10 ERA, which is not sparkling for a reliever. Uh, 13 appearances, has a 3-0 record. Uh, 20.1 innings pitched and 17 hits allowed, eight runs, seven earned, 31 strikeouts against four walks. And that's what you want from a reliever. A guy that's going come out of the bullpen throwing strikes, not walking people. We've experienced some of that, right? Doesn't give up a lot of extra base hits. Will pitch to contact. But, uh, again, a guy that's getting some Ks. This is a guy that's averaging over a strikeout per inning, and that's what you want. Outside of him, it's a much different deal in that bullpen. It's had somebody tell me earlier in the year, Mississippi State is going to win some games because of their bullpen. Ole Miss is going to lose some games because of their bullpen. That's really been the case. Team ERA of 3.92. That's not necessarily elite. But with their offense, you should be able to overcome some of that, and they have. That's one of the things you look at. This is an Ole Miss team that's been able to score some runs and play pretty good defense too. Uh, looking at this batting uh, group here, you know Kevin Graham is a guy too that uh, – I don't know that they expected him to be quite as good as he has been. You know, he is a junior and uh, from Westminster Christian there from uh, O'Fallon, Missouri. And so I don't know what the reasonable expectations were, but this guy is lighting it up. Batting average of three forty nine. He started all 33 games, 44 hits on the year, seven doubles, six dingers, 31 ribbies, and a guy that really stepped up last week, Uh, Swung the bat pretty well. Not a threat, you know, to really run there. But uh, a guy that's done a good job with the bat. Uh, T.J. McCants, you guys know that, uh, you know, his younger brother signed with Mississippi State. That'll be awfully interesting here in the years to come. Uh, But McCants is a guy, too. They've moved around a little bit. He's a great athlete. A lot of people have been kind of unfair to him, I think, too. It's, you know, he's still learning to play at this level, but he's an incredible athlete. And there were a lot of people that thought he would be a much higher – uh, consideration for the draft but uh, 346 average for him uh, five doubles a triple two home runs just 13 rbi and a lot of that's a byproduct too a few you know, guys not getting on ahead of him but uh you know a, a guy too that's kind of struggled a little bit with swing and miss 25 strikeouts on the year which i believe is uh second highest on the team to tim elko tim elko of course not expected to play this weekend so, McCants is a guy that you can get some swing and miss, and that's just an experience. So, you got to take advantage of that. Uh, Justin Bench is a guy that, uh, according to some Ole Miss insiders, that he is doubtful for the weekend. Now, I understand he was going to try to give it a go today and then see how things go. He, you know, of course, he really wants to play. And Justin Bench, of course, not the son of the Hall of Fame catcher, Johnny Bench, despite some other reports. Uh, Justin Bench hitting three thirty-three on the year. Uh, 123 at bat, so he's – I mean, he has certainly had a chance to get his hacks in. Uh, 41 hits, three doubles, two triples, and uh, three home runs there. And, again, 21 RBIs for him. What's incredible, what jumps out about his stat line is 12 hit by pitches. You know, some guys just have a knack for that. Maybe it's about crowding the plate. You know, I don't know. You know, but uh, he has been hit by the pitch a dozen times. The The team has 42. He is far and away the leader. So that's just something to consider if he does get in there. I understand he's had a back injury. Uh, he's also their best stolen base threat, 8-10 and 10 on the year. But he's got this back injury. I understand he's had medical attention there. Just don't know what to expect from him this weekend. But if, you're, if you lose Elko, you know Elko's not expected to play, but if you don't have Elko and Bench in the lineup, uh, that's 12 home runs that are gone from 37. And so it's nearly a third of their home runs that are no longer in the order. Just something to consider there. The guy that I really like, though, that I've really watched, and uh, you look at him and say, man, this guy's got big leaguer all over him. It's Jacob Gonzalez, man, that shortstop. I really like his game. And you're watching him defensively. It's the thing I think about watching these two teams play. You've got two young shortstop in here, Lane Forsyth and Gonzalez, that are both uh, probably playing above their heads right now. You know, Forsythe is a guy that uh, got into the lineup a little bit later than Gonzalez. Gonzalez has started all 33 games. But if you watch this kid play, we, when we had a chance to watch him a lot in Texas, he doesn't look like a newcomer. This is a guy that's very familiar with the game. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it's clear he's played at a high level. Really impressed with him. He's a guy you've got to be careful with, too. And uh, 326 average for him on the year as a freshman. It's goodness. Uh, 33 runs, 43 hits, which is among the team lead. I believe, I believe that's second on the team, only behind Kevin Graham. and That's a freshman. Now, five doubles, a triple, four dingers, just the 25 RBIs. But 15 walks, and uh, he is not a guy that has struck out a whole lot. He struck out 18 times, but when you begin to think about, you know, him being a freshman, that's a pretty good eye for a young guy. So, he's a guy you really got to be careful with. And then Hayden Leatherwood is a guy that has played some in relief with Tim Elko. Uh, has some power, not Tim Elko power. You know, Tim Elko is, is an absolute stud for Ole Miss. And, uh, you know, him being out of the lineup really changes a lot of things because he seems to be at his best when his runner's in scoring position. Uh, so, you know, not seeing him and potentially not seeing bench is pretty significant. You know, you're going to have you know, lose two of your best hitters. And when you look at the numbers here, that's two of their top five hitters from a batting average standpoint. It's a much, much different team without those. But to their credit, you know, last weekend, despite not having Tim Elko, they went there and scored a ton of runs against Arkansas. Now, Arkansas doesn't have an elite pitching staff. They don't have the pitching staff Mississippi State does. But that's, you know, Wickline and those guys are good. Not, they may not be great or elite, but they're good. And Ole Miss went out there and victimized those guys. And, and listen, you get, you get down 11 nothing in the ballgame, even though there's eight innings to go, it's easy to say, you know what, it's just not our day. But Ole Miss didn't quit. I mean, you give them credit. Those guys went out there and played hard, made a game of it, came back, uh, tied the game, and then lost it. And that's the thing, too, that you kind of think about, too, if, you know, if you're if you're a Mr. Ole Miss guy. Is does it kind of get to become a self-fulfilling prophecy on Sunday? I mean, do you have no confidence in Sunday? You know, because you've really struggled. I think they're 500 on Sunday this year, and that includes a couple non-conference series that they should have won easily. That's The last two weeks, it's been a much different deal. They get a split on Friday, Saturday, and they lose the Sunday ball game. And so I understand why Mike Bianco wants to shake things up there. But, you know, when you've lost two series in a row and you're headed to Mississippi State, a team that's beat you 14 the last 16, you probably don't have a lot of confidence. And here's another thing that I want to talk about, too, is the dude effect. Probably got a chance to have uh, the largest – on-campus baseball or really any sport crowd since uh percentage of capacity crowd since this whole thing started it's gonna be one of it's gonna be probably the highest on-campus crowd to date since this covid crisis started a ton of people are going to be at Dirty noble field Every time I turn around, somebody's saying, hey, I couldn't get tickets, and then I shared the link for them to go buy tickets and they are able to get tickets. And so it's exciting to think about how many people are going to be here. And so when you're a team that has been on the ropes a little bit and you're coming in here, and I won't necessarily say that Ole Miss is a desperate team. You know, this is still a good team with a good record. But you've had some losses, and you've lost two series in a row. You can't afford to lose three. So we're going to get their best shot. But let's say you come in here and all of a sudden, you know, Mississippi State comes out and puts a couple runs on the board, and all of a sudden you got, you know, 13,000 people out there yelling at you, and all of a sudden, you know, a routine play feels like a College World Series. It is going to be a super regional-type atmosphere. And I asked Crystal Manos about that. I said, you know, there's some pressure on both sides. I mean, do you think there's more pressure on you guys because there's a pressure to perform because this is your home crowd against your rival, or is there more pressure on the opponent? Well, he says clearly it's on the opponent. I mean, obviously you want those thirteen, fourteen thousand 14,000 people cheering for you. But what happens late in that ball game? Because we have an intelligent group of fans. Now, there are some outliers, and I think many of them post on social media. Uh, but – our fans kind of understand when to be loud, when to get loud, and when things are going our way, we make it almost impossible to win. You remember Stanford? We were all there. One of the most electrifying atmospheres I've ever seen at any sport. We're going to have a comparable-type crowd this weekend, especially on Saturday. So, when you begin to think, okay, these teams are pretty even or whatever, I don't think we're even. I think we're, I think we're better, but, I, but listen, it's really close. I'm not trying, in any way trying to throw shade at Ole Miss. I'm really glad we're playing this thing here. If we're playing it on a neutral field, you know, who knows? We're playing it at their place. They're probably going to win the series, even though we've had some great success up there in recent years. With all that we have at stake, and with all that's changed with the NCAA tournament selection process, we really got done a solid by being able to host this good old Miss team in Starkville. So, I think the crowd is good enough to get us a win. If I'm being honest with myself, you know, if Christian McLeod comes out and we can get a win on Friday, I think we got a chance to sweep this thing. Because I don't think Ole Miss will beat Bednar. I think, to be honest with you, I think Bednar might be our best, you know, feet in the fire type pitcher. You know, when things are a little bit tough, I think that he's the guy that can kind of knuckle down and get you through it. Now, McLeod has been outstanding the last two weeks. If we get that Christian McLeod on Friday, because I, I think Friday's going to be a really close scoring game. And so, if McLeod can keep the ball down and keep it in the ballpark and give State a chance, maybe you get in that, that Ole Miss bullpen. And listen, I think Ole Miss will be all out to win game one. You know they will be. They'd probably try to get six out of Hoglin and then get it, give it over to Broadway and see what happens. But if we win that one, I think we've probably survived their biggest shot. I think we got a chance uh, certainly to take the series and, and possibly a chance to sweep depending on how things go on Sunday. I would not want to be an inexperienced pitcher having to trot out there at Duty Noble Field on Sunday knowing the Bulldogs have a chance to sweep. That's a lot of pressure for a young man. And I know that you guys are going to go out there and be very, very hospitable to our guests. So that's where things stand uh, with this weekend. And listen, this is a good Ole Miss team, uh, despite the fact that, they've, that they're trying to figure out a Sunday pitch and they've had some injuries. They've got some guys that can really swing it. And so this could be an offensive weekend. You know, we saw what they did to Arkansas's bullpen. Arkansas doesn't have a great bullpen, even though, you know, cops got out there and did a decent job for them. But, uh, you know, Ole Miss made Arkansas. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It's called Look Less Than the Number One Team. I mean, this is a good old miss team for sure, and so I, this is why I think the home field advantage is so important. So I'm encourage you guys do what you can to get in there and help the Bulldogs. Let's look around the league. There were two series in the league that started on Thursday. Alabama and Auburn went to extra innings, and wouldn't you know it, Auburn loses again on a one run deal. Walk off there in the tenth. Alabama gets three consecutive hits. They win the game 8-7. to seven. LSU takes down South Carolina 5-1. to one. I shared with you guys on this show that I was glad we got LSU early because they're going to figure it out. And you know what, guys? They're figuring it out. They take two of three from Kentucky last weekend. They've won the opener against South Carolina and beat their Friday night guy. Uh, Marceau, I think 12Ks, great job. No earned runs. They give up a run late out of the bullpen. But 5-1, and again, I believe South Carolina's a little bit overvalued, but LSU is figuring this thing out. And we're going to need LSU to kind of run some interference for us. Can LSU take a game from Ole Miss? Yes, they can. Can LSU take a game from Arkansas? Yes, they can. And you know what? We need them to. We need to handle our end of it, but we also need some other teams out there to run some interference for us. I have no confidence in Alabama or A&M, But I do have confidence in LSU because we've seen this movie so many times. LSU starts a little bit slow, and by the the end of the year, they're as hot as anybody in a regular season. And then they kind of push, 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 and get to a regional and kind of run out of gas. But this is an LSU team that is going to be a factor in determining the pecking order in the SEC. Mark my words on that. That's a proud program with very talented players. They're going to heat up along with the temperatures because as the wind changes – Now, all of a sudden, you start getting that warm wind out of the golf down there and start pushing those balls out the left field. It is going to play different. They're going to play different. It is going to be a different dynamic at Alex Box Stadium. We need good things to happen to LSU because we're so far ahead of them. All they're doing basically is running interference for us and then kind of picking off some teams that uh, could possibly be between us and a national seed. So, uh, go Tigers. All right, looking around the league, Kentucky is at Georgia this weekend. You know, is playing a lot of conference there at home. They've kind of figured the pitching piece out. They have struggled offensively, but, man, they feasted on Vanderbilt pitching last weekend. I expect them to do the same. You know, Kentucky salvaged the game last weekend. Kentucky probably get a game. I think it's probably a 2-1 type deal, but I think Georgia does win. Missouri is at Florida. You know, I I never knew what to expect from Southern League and those guys. You would say, you know what, at home they should win all three of these. Mizzou has picked off, I think they're four and eight in the league. They've won a couple of games. It's probably a bit of a surprise. But uh, I won't be the least bit surprised to see Florida sweep. One of the the biggest series in the nation is Vanderbilt at Tennessee. If that game was in Nashville, I would feel a lot different about that i still think mandy takes the series because i think rocker will bounce back and pitch really well but the truth of the matter is we just need tennessee to get a game if we can if they could get two then life becomes a lot easier for us but we just need tennessee to get a game i think at the beginning of the year nobody expected tennessee to be what they are It shows you what a great job tony's done but i tell you that's going to be on espnu and, and for those of us that uh you know, we'll be covering the Mississippi State on Miss game. We'll be keeping an eye on those scores, too, because that that's important in the grand scheme of things. Auburn, of course, at Alabama will play game two. Texas A&M at Arkansas. I just have no confidence in A&M taking a game from Arkansas. If they can, it will be completely unexpected. It will also be a big thing for Mississippi State if they do. And, of course, South Carolina down at LSU. I don't think LSU sweeps. Uh, but I do think that they take the series. And uh, South Carolina entered the weekend 8-4 and four in the conference. so are right there with Mississippi State. So, as we begin to kind of, you know, f- filter through the pecking order here, anybody behind us that picks off anybody around us is our friend, which is why we're, we're really happy for LSU uh, right now. That's your look around the league. Let's get into some football recruiting before we get out of here. Brought to you by Portico, our good friend Brooks Bryan, a good friend to me, good friend to Mississippi State, good friend to you. Uh, Brooks has been involved with this Portico project, and, man, it's gone great. I mean, it really has. You know, Despite the fact that uh, we've had this quarantine stuff to deal with, I mean, these guys are selling houses. People want to move to Starkville. People want to be part of this community, and you you do too. And even if it's on a part-time basis, maybe you're thinking, you know what, Steve, I can't afford to move up there full-time, but you know what? Maybe if we go ahead and buy a place – and we're up there for basketball and baseball weekends, not having to get a hotel, it feels more like home, and maybe I can talk her into it, right? So go ahead and make the move. We'd love for you to be here full-time. Now, I don't want to have to wait for a table at Bulldog Burger Company, so you guys need to go on a day that I don't go. But we want you here, and Portico is the best place to go. New construction, uh, new technology, and and everything is brand new. And how many times in your life have you thought, man, it would be so great to have a brand-new house, that nobody else has ever lived in and messed up, and we've made our own memories in here. You can do that. Where is Portico, Steve? I'm so glad you asked. You come off 82 and you turn on the 12 like going to campus. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. That turns into Garrett Road as you cross over Old West Point Road. It's 1.1 miles from campus. It's close enough you could run over there if you wanted to. Many of you that run, you could say you run that mile to campus, you run a couple laps around campus, you run the mile home, what a great workout. And I can tell you, for God, it's done a lot of running. I hadn't run in a while, but I'm going to run on Sunday on campus. But um, it's one of those things you look at. It's such a great place to be. And every time I'm on campus, especially when it's not a work day, and I'm just down there kind of hanging out. It's a wonderful feeling. So give Brooks a call. They're going to have a house that can accommodate any size family, two up to two-bedroom, four-bedroom, 2,000 square feet. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You need all the information, you call Brooks Bryan. Brooks is happy to talk to you about Mississippi State stuff, talk to you about Portico. A lot of you have been thinking, you know what, one day we want to make the move. Well, today is that day. Call Brooks, 601-416-8075, 601-416-8075. I'm told there are a couple of houses left right now that are in move-in condition, and then they're about to begin Phase 2 construction, so there will be a lot more. So if now is the time, now's the time to make the call. If you're thinking about doing it later and say, you know what, Steve, let me get through the school year and then we'll do it and get the kids in school in the fall, give Brooks a call. He, he'll get you going. All right, so let's talk recruiting. So a couple of things I want to talk about as we get ready for Super Bulldog weekend. This is going to be a very defensive heavy class. I mean, you know, we're going to try to sign a full class, right? So we'll sign a quarterback. We'll sign a, you know, a running back. Uh, we'll sign a couple receivers. I would say right now, the expectation is probably two, maybe three receivers. Two, maybe three. We've been very heavy the last two classes in receivers. So, numbers-wise, we're about what we need to be. So, you've got to look at replacing those guys. They're going to be moving on. So, two, maybe three. And I say three because it's going to depend on what happens in fall camp. Maybe some guys don't work out. Maybe a guy goes from transfer portal. Maybe a guy's not happy with playing time. So, we'll see. Two for sure, maybe three. With uh, Hargrove, Cotravian Hargrove out there and uh, a guy that could count towards this class, it's going to be a one-running back class. Even if Hargrove counts towards 2021, which he can, as I've explained before, if he signs in the summer, he counts in 2021. If he signs after he enrolls in class, he counts towards 2022. But either way, he counts on your depth chart for this year. So, you went out and signed two backs last year. You signed two the year before. Well, you don't need six running backs. So you got Dakota. You hang on to him. And everything that I hear right now, he's still planning to come to State and play both sports. So it's a one running back class. And I know some people out there said, hey, we're recruiting this guy hard, we're recruiting that guy hard. We're not recruiting any running backs hard. We're recruiting a bunch of running backs. And if we can get a difference maker, we'll take one. But we're not going to take just a developmental guy or a roster filler at this point and then hurt ourselves with a good guy next year. And we're not going to get those traditional 20-carry running back guys. Branson Robinson, uh, I love his game. And there was a time that he was very, very high on Mississippi State. His recruitment blew up. He wants to carry the football 20, 25 times a game. And, that's what, and he's going to go to Georgia as far as I'm concerned. That's what I've heard. He's going to go to Georgia. And you know what? Best of luck to that kid. I don't feel slighted. I know some people say, well, you know, Steve, I don't understand why we're losing this guy. You know, sometimes it's about fit. And if this is a guy that wants to carry it 20 times a game, it's not going to happen at Mississippi State. And if he wants to touch it 20 times a game, that's going to happen here. But if he wants to play in a conventional offense, then he's going to go elsewhere. It's not anybody's fault. It just kind of is what it is going to be one quarterback class and I want to listen I want to reiterate this because I don't think some of you guys are listening it's going to be difficult for us to get a blue chip quarterback this year it is because we have two freshman quarterbacks that are just joining the program and then we have Will Rogers who was a starter last year and he's a super freshman again this year he's a COVID freshman so essentially you have three freshman quarterbacks on the roster that is not a depth chart that it lends itself to blue chip recruiting quarterbacks Everybody we're recruiting against is going to point that out. they got a starter that's going to be there for four more years. Why would you go there? And so there's some names out there, but it's not a situation right now where I would consider any of those guys a lean to Mississippi State. I just, I just wouldn't. I know there have been some crystal ball picks put in for Braden Locke. I'm not ready to do that because based on the information that I'm getting, I'm just not comfortable with that situation yet. After he takes these trips – and sees Mississippi State, sees North Carolina, it might be completely different. But as of today, I'm not ready to make that call. Uh, offensive line, it's going to be a full class. You know, Probably initially you're looking to take four, but then we'll see what happens with Gabe Kavasos. And if that didn't work out with Gabe, we're going to have to replace him and go get a fifth guy. You already have two. And Jacarius Clayton's got to be OLDL. Uh, and listen, continue to hear that you know, he, he wants a shot at playing DL, but listen, he's found playing OL despite what some other people have said. And then, of course, Jackson Cannon's all aboard, and he's doing some recruiting, trying to get some other guys to come join him in the class. So three other guys there that we'll add. And so on the offensive side of the football, you're probably looking at about eight offensive players this year. That's how it looks. And so you'll spend the rest of those spots – On defense or potentially special teams. I don't know that we scholarship a kicker this year. I don't expect that to happen. But you know we've got some needs on defense, and the fact that we're going to sign less than you know ten players on offense kind of gives you the ability to kind of bulk things up at defensive back, and that's exactly what's happening. So we and we're saying, well, Steve, is it a six DB class guys? It could be seven. It could be seven. It, it, It absolutely could be seven we begin to break this thing down, you know, we, we knew we were going to take two linebackers, maybe three. Two for sure, maybe three. We're going to sign a full defensive line. So, when you start doing the math on that, let's say we take eight on offense and you sign uh, four defensive linemen, well, that brings you to 12. You sign two backers, that gives you a 14. Well, then all of a sudden you've got some freedom out there, you know, to go sign, you know, six, seven DBs and still be beneath the threshold and save yourself – You know, maybe a best available here, best available there. You know, as things kind of emerge late. So, again, excited about this recruiting class. Currently 14th in the country, according to 247 Sports. Uh, And listen, there's still a bunch of four-stars out there kind of lingering about that are leaning to Mississippi State. So, some of these guys, too, let me go ahead and prepare you for this. Kind of a parting shot here. There will be some guys that appear to be, you know, hey, really high priorities right now. Once these guys come to camp and we see how fast they are and see how big they are, there there will be a recalibration on some of these guys. So don't get so caught up right now in thinking, hey, this kid's definitely going to be a bulldog. This kid's definitely going to be this, this, that, or whatever. Because once people get objective third-party measurables, because there's not been any Nike camps, there's been a few independent combines out there, but there hadn't been a lot of stuff out there to get numbers, and all of a sudden – You know, guys go out to Georgia, and it's one of them a reputable camp, and all of a sudden, you know, some of these guys that were, you know, reported to be 6'2 end up being 5'10", all of a sudden you start pumping the brakes, saying, well, if he's 5'10", he's not even six foot, we got to think about this. So, if you see some guys' recruitment slow down in the weeks ahead as these third-party measurables and times come out, don't be surprised. And that doesn't mean that things aren't going to work out, it just means maybe you need more information. All right, speaking of information, go to alphadogsbook.com today and order personalized copies of Flem Flam, Stark Wins, and Alpha Dogs. And uh, we'll have a new link and a new book for you guys here in a few weeks. Uh, Blooms of Oleander is uh, in production now, and uh, we'll have some proofs here in the next couple of weeks, and we'll get those approved. The next thing you know, that book will be at the printer, and soon after that it'll be on the shelf. Excited to share that with you. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call.